Tennis fans, players, coaches, parents, welcome to the First Serve's dedicated junior tennis podcast, The Junior Journey, with Betty Sikolovsky and Michael Legazzo. Hi and welcome to The Junior Journey, the podcast where we dive into the world of junior tennis and what it takes to succeed in this highly competitive sport. I'm your host, Betty Sikolovsky, and joined by my co-host, Michael Legazzo. Welcome. Hey Betty, how are you? Really excited about today's ex- uh, episode and the guest we have on. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, I'm pretty stoked about this guy. I haven't seen him in a long time, and it's great to see him today. And uh, welcome, Alex Hines. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, should be a good chat. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, Hines, you're a talented guy. You've been involved in a cu- couple of hybrid situations, uh, performance uh, coach at Tennis Australia in your in your time, uh, head of. SNC and the tennis program at KDV at one point. Uh, worked with likes of John Millman, James Duckworth, Lizette Cabrera, and the founder of Team Movement. So, wow, what a <laughs> what a what a resume you have! And um, we'd love to talk to you more about you know tennis footwork and and everything else that SNC brings to our sport today. So, Alex, just tell us a bit about your journey, uh, where you've come from and what's led you to where you are now, because I, I think it's great for people to understand your background and that you actually do have a tennis coaching background as well and, and how that translates into what you're doing with tennis footwork and movement. Yeah. Well, I've always played tennis, so tennis has always been my passionate sport. And I started coaching when I was really young, like 15, helping out the local coaches. I ran my own club at 17. Um, and then I went to university to study sports science, you know, because I was just fascinated by, by you know, the science behind the body, the science behind performance. Um, so I left my little country town and went down to Canberra because that's where the AIS was and I knew I'd get work, like you'd interact with the university there. Studied sports science, pretty much done, did every subject on tennis. Um and I started coaching with uh, with uh, some guys down in Canberra who were basically sort of the state squad. Um, and from there, uh, you know, I was, to be honest, I was just a bit of a pest. Uh, I wanted to work for Tennis Australia. And so I would just uh, bug the, the strength conditioning department there, the tennis coaching department. I'd be like, I want to do free time. I'll come and donate my time. Um, I'd go to ACTAS, which is basically the strength conditioning, um, the ACT strength conditioning component down there. Got a start there. I was going there at 5.30 in the morning, just observing, learning. Um, but I eventually got a, a start with um, Tennis Australia, which was unreal. And I was um, I was the assistant high-performance tennis coach and and the strength and conditioning coach there in the ACT National Academy, um, which was like your state athletes that were sitting at a, at a high enough ranking to be national. And that's where I got to work with some cool players like Nick Kyrgios um, when he was 14 and 15. Uh, which was uh, very cool to see his his development and then follow him through his whole career. Um, so I worked there for for just over a year, and then I got an opportunity when the AIS sort of split, when it split to Melbourne um, and Brisbane. I got an opportunity to move up to Brisbane, um, and I moved into the strength and conditioning department. Um, so I I sort of wasn't doing as much tennis coaching. I moved into that strength and conditioning. Uh, they still used me as a tennis coach. So, um, because I was young as well, I got in super young that I just wanted to travel. So they sent me around the world. Um, yeah, and I got to work with some really, really cool players, you know, like a really good group of girls, for instance, like Kim Birrell, Priscilla Hon, Lizette Cabrera, Olivia Gadecki, um, and then Isla Tomjanovic and Yamila Gotisova. Um, and then some other really, you know, top players and men's, um, you know, 
likes of Melman and Duckworth and O'Connell and those sorts of Kublar, those sorts of guys. But the the really cool thing that from that was actually I got to hang out with all the like top coaches, um, all the best SNCs, all the best tennis coaches in Australia, and I got to learn off them. And then eventually I uh, I finished up. I was there eight years. Uh, I finished up and went to a private academy, KDV Sport, where I sort of moved back into my uh, tennis coaching, which I loved. So I got to um, I got to work as a bit of a high performance coach uh, in our day squad, uh, working with Ben Pine, uh, and I was the head of the strength and conditioning department as well. Um, so I uh, and from there I actually got linked up with Squash Australia, and I've been there the head of strength and conditioning for the last five and a half years, maybe six years now, um, and I run their pathway as well. So I provide external tr- training programs for for all their elite thirteen to eighteen year olds. Um, and also just started doing that with artistic swimming. Um, but the footwork and movement really ha- was a was a development that I started like before I even started with Tennis Australia with a guy called David Briggs. Uh, he was my first strength and conditioning mentor. He loved tennis. Uh, I mean, he, was, he wasn't the greatest tennis player, but he loved it. Um, and he loved footwork and he loved the body. And, the, and, and so from there, we sort of created this understanding of how footwork and movement um, is relatable with the tactics of tennis, uh, the efficiency of the body and the performance of the body. Um, and it's also a good injury prevention because efficiency is a massive thing too. And so I had that in my, I've just been developing that and it changed and developed, you know, as I went through my career and then COVID hit. And I was like, you know what, uh, I've got to get this thing live. I've got to, I've got to, you know, I've learned all this amazing information. You know, I want to share this with as many uh, coaches and athletes as I can. So I, I started um, Team Movement, which is basically short for either Team Movement or Tennis Movement, whatever you guys are, whatever people relate with. Um, and so, yeah, I, I created a website. I created an app. I've got physical training on there, um, injury prevention, fitness, everything, which we'll, I'm sure we'll delve into like what is SNC and what you know young players need. I've got all of it written up and designed. And the other thing is coach education. I really want to teach coaches more about athletic development and footwork and movement. And sometimes, like you know, there's there's some amazing coaches out there who t- teach footwork and movement so well, but what the, the course that I'm going to be creating in the footwork and edu- uh, movement education is basically going to validate why you do those things because I'm going to link it back to how the body actually works and how it should function. And that's the and that's the thing I wanted to uh, ask you as a as a first up question, Heidi, is you know through all your um through all your, your experiences as a coach, as an SNC, as a mentor, as a friend, or a lot of these athletes, one of the things I keep hearing from a lot of parents over and over and over again is, uh, you know, I've been instructed by the coaches to not start fitness until they're 14 there's a lot of different theories and I'm massive on starting athletic development young um you know I think it's just so vital in developing coordination in our body how we develop technique all links in with all these things just like your thoughts on that because the big question is parents do not know or have not been educated on the importance of athletic development in their kids from a young age it seems to be a lot of tennis development and as we know, that window closes and, and they become a little limited as an athlete. Can, we just speak, can you speak to this a little bit more? I think it's important to, to educate families and coaches on, you know, how early? When is too early? When is, too, when, when is it too late? Uh, just when do we get a hold of some of these things? Yeah, look, it's, a mis, it's misunderstood because people hear strength and conditioning and it's not really about strength and conditioning. Um, a part of strength and conditioning is athletic development, like you said, Betty. Um, athletic development is not lifting weights 
Um, it's not doing powerlifting. It's it's actually just developing the fundamentals of how the body should function. So later on, you can introduce strength, you can introduce power, and you've developed that efficiency of the body at a young age. So you can start as I've had kids to start as early as eight doing just fundamental movement patterns, learning how to squat, lunge, push, pull, jump, land, uh, hinge, just body weight. Like you don't need any weights. There's no, there's no resistance um, required. The body is more than enough. Um, the problem is there isn't too many people that actually understand athlete development. It is a massive skill in itself. Um, and so a lot of those parents may have come from bad, you know, bad experiences. Maybe they've taken their little 10-year-old into a personal trainer who's got no idea about athletic development or tennis and they've loaded them up and they've got some sort of soft tissue injury or something and then they're like, well, it's bad, it's bad, and then they tell everyone else. And then, But the key is you, it's like anything, right? You need to find the, the good practitioners. You need to find the people who actually know what they're doing and then let them sort of guide you through it. But it's not just about like the fundamental movement patterns as well. The young kids can learn how to accelerate, uh, run, change direction, Throwing, throwing's huge. You can start throwing at it. Uh, my little boy's 14 months and he's trying to sort of push a ball around like throw it, right? Like you can you can introduce these fundamentals really, really early and there's no risk to the body. Um, like an example would be Emerson Jones. So I worked with Emerson from when she was about nine years old to 13. So basically just until she went on to the National Academy. So she was at KDV. I had her doing speed agility at nine years old. I had her doing fundamental movement patterns at nine years old. Uh, I've, got, I've got footage of it. Um, and that's a girl who has not been held back by injury. So she she's had the luxury of being on court right up uh, like constantly and her body doesn't break down. So you can build this physical robustness and you can improve efficiency and performance of, of young kids, but it, you've got to do it the right way. Um, and you, you don't load them up the resistance. You don't, you, they just need their body weights. Um, but there's so many fundamentals um, that, they, that they can develop. And they, there's no risk. There, there's like if they go out and start throwing a ball, there's, there's not much risk to that. If they learn how to do a body weight squat, I mean, getting them, tricking them to do it is the key because they really don't like <laughs> doing like a traditional gym program like you have to trick them so you make it kind of fun and i've got examples like a good example for for young kids is like i play a game when i was coaching that age group like it's called animals and you just make them pretend to be different animals it's like okay you're a duck so you've got to go down into a squat position right and then you've got to walk and that's hip range that's glute activation that's core that's posture you know but they don't know that they're learning you know like bear crawling fantastic amazing coordination amazing core amazing bracing like they don't know they're doing it but that is athlete development um the other thing that that as part of that and i could just i could talk for an hour about just this but when it, there's a there's a bit of a theory that there's a window for developing um more uh, plyometric like really low grade plyometric but your explosiveness is there's a window just before puberty um, and that's why skipping is something that's really, really important for young athletes. It, it builds that the connective tissue to be a bit more reactive. Um, and so later on, it's a lot harder to develop that. But there's, there is a theory that doing low-grade plyometrics like skipping and jumping and stuff when they are young, just before puberty, 
actually helps them later on. Uh, but again, I could talk for a long time about that. But again, it is very important, especially with the modern game, you cannot, you cannot succeed in tennis anymore without being physical. Yeah, I think you make some fantastic points there. And I, and that last point particularly is I think if you are not an athlete, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to play at a high level. Um, the way the game's changed, the way the game's heading, um, you need to be able to – I mean, I've always used the, the theory that um, if you can't move, you can't play. If you can't get to the ball, you're not going to be able to execute. You're not going to be able to – you know, do all the things you want tactically even um, in your game. So I think it's really, really important. And I think those windows of when you can make great gains and the understanding that it's actually early on um, is really important for parents because I think there's a lot of volume on the court and not so much in their athletic development, which I think later on down the track, they, they suffer. You know, how many, I mean, you would have found it in, in your time do we have a lot of, especially boys? I find more so. You know, we we also we get a lot of you know stress fractures in the back. You know, when they get to 14, 15, because they just the loads, the the increased volume, they're just playing, 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 and at some point their body gives way, and it's an understanding of when to do what at what stage. Yeah. So for you, what would the ideal tennis athlete be? What what would the makeups, the fundamentals required, and what can you know, juniors do to develop those those fundamentals? Unfortunately, there's a lot <laughs> due to the nature of our sport. There's a lot of fundamentals that they need to improve. But first and foremost, and this is the most important thing in tennis, and it's often most overlooked, injury prevention is the most important thing in tennis. Right? And there's plenty of ways to prevent injury. But if you're injured at a young age, you miss all that skill acquisition time. So if you're not on court for three or four months due to, a, for instance, a lower back stress fracture um, or a stress, stress reaction, whatever it is, um, you are spending time off court. And I'm telling you, injury pre preventing injuries is possible. Uh, I've never had high injury rates. Even when I was at KDV and I was taking care of 30 athletes, they all did injury prevention. That was priority. So getting to a physio or finding something like I've got programs as well, injury prevention programs is really important to prevent those wrists, elbows, shoulders, backs, ankles, knees, really important. The fundamental movement patterns are really, really important. Now, these are, these are seven fundamental movement patterns that young athletes need to master before they start adding, you know, resistance, start adding weights. So they can do these at the most basic form and then progress these, these fundamentals um, in different speeds, different directions, different complexities. So hands overhead while lunging, all these sorts of things, doing things that create the complexity before you add load, which is weights, right? Lunge. Lunge is the first one. It's one of the most important in tennis because a lot of our um, strokes are lunge patterns. Lunge, hinge, which is like a, um, a landing in an arabesque on a serve. That's a hinge where we hinge at the hips. Squat, obviously, squats a very fundamental movement pattern that we need to have, and it's uh, the foundation for for some of our jumping and landing. Um, it's also a foundation for when we serve, we go into a squat and we drive up. Push, pull, which is uh, generally associated with our upper body, and that's uh, maintaining good posture as well, which is going to reduce the chances of injury as well. 
Um, brace, which is our core. So you talk about lower back stresses, often due to poor core control and mobility. So, and the last one's jumping and landing. Jumping and landing does more damage than anything because it's done at a higher speed and kids cannot jump and land. And it is so important because we're constantly jumping and landing on, on the court or we're landing on one leg, um, driving off one leg, you know, so it, jumping and landing is super important. So they're the fundamental movement patterns that need to be developed. I think kids need to be able to accelerate and change direction. Um, I think they need to have good footwork patterns is really important. I think throwing is really important. Um, fitness, you need to have fitness. Now, this is a bit of a misconception too that fitness comes from long-distance runs. Young kids that are growing um, and they go on long-distance runs, I say on a road, you're just asking for injury. Um, I love long-distance runs for the mind and that helps with recovery because you get this blood adaptation which assists with your recovery post-match. Um, but they need to do more high-intensity repeat efforts. Or better yet, just train with some decent intensity on court. Like this is one of the things that kills me. <laughs> and I'm sure it kills you guys too as a coach. Kids <laughs> just training with poor intensity or just hitting, just standing and hitting crosses, not recovering, not moving, not training with good intensity. Intervention, fundamental movement patterns, speed and agility, um, they need to have some form of fitness to be able to compete for long periods of time and mindset. So they need to have a growth mindset, a, a mindset that I'm improving my body for the betterment of my tennis because minds, I mean, mindsets, mentality is physicality. You know, a really good coach told me that once. How do you incorporate, so for any coaches listening and uh, who run squads, private, yep. whatever, you know, a lot of the questions are, you know, how do I, kind of run this through my program or some programs run it on the side. Um, how often should they be doing it, I guess, is another thing. Um, yeah. You know, some of them, it's just funny, all the things that you've mentioned regarding recovery on the court. Like I'm really big on trying to, you know, train as you play. And there's obviously some kids that probably don't do that all the time, but it's interesting when they do do it, I get them to put their hand on their heart to feel what they're, um, you know, or just put their fingers near their pulse and just understand <laughs> the difference in work rate. And, yeah, they perform better, but they're unable to sustain it because they don't train like that quite very often unless you're there holding them accountable. So, but with with this sort of stuff that you're talking about, how often would you recommend that to, just say, a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old or how often should they be doing it? How do they fit that in? Is that something they do as part of their warm-up? Um, is that something that they just do on their own? If, if, the, if the coach doesn't have that in their program, built in their program, how would you recommend them doing this? Because sometimes it's a, a cost-budgeting thing for a lot of families. They may have three kids. You know, one's playing tennis, the others are sort of doing something else. And it sometimes does come down to that cost effective for a lot of families. Sure. See this working. Look, yeah, look, I think first and foremost, if you're running an academy or you're trying to create good little players, you need to incorporate good warm-ups. Now, good warm-ups develop good athletes. They prevent injury. Like this is a misconception, I think, with, with warm-ups that people are like, yeah, just get your blood flowing, get moving. No. No, you can start a warm-up doing mobility exercises. Right? There is, there's a structure of how you warm up. There's actually a structure of how you should progress a warm-up. And it's in it's in my athlete development course. And I actually presented when I traveled around for Tennis Australia this year to all the coaches, I presented on that because it does my head in. <laughs> and I've seen it, I've seen it with elite players do the warm-ups, the wrong, the wrong method, the wrong progressions. But you can work on mobility, 
um, and for growing, especially growing boys through 13 through to 16, when, when they're growing really rapidly, they need to be doing mobility. They need to do flexibility and mobility. It is so important. Uh, and I'll explain like an afternoon squad and then I'll explain a high performance squad if you want. So if for our afternoon squads, for instance, like which this is how I executed at KDV, they'd come in, they'd do um, some activation work for, so TheraBand work for their shoulders, glute work to switch on their glutes uh, and switch on their core. So that'd be their switch on. Then they'd go through a lot of what a, a lot of people call a functional warm-up, but that functional warm-up actually is mobility and it's the fundamental movement patterns I spoke about. So lunging, squatting, hinging, you know, you're actually developing the athlete and helping with their mobility and flexibility in a warm-up. And then it moves into like, so then the warm-up progresses and we increase heart rate, increase respiratory rate, like you're talking about, Betty. But we do like, um, you might do some uh, movement exercises, which are acceleration or change of direction. Okay, suddenly we're starting to tap away at developing their acceleration. We're starting to work away at their fundamentals of, of changing direction, which is so important in our sport. Uh, and then you can move into uh, different footwork patterns if you want. So it becomes more and more specific. Now, that warm-up, in that warm-up, I am working on injury prevention because I'm trying to get their shoulders, hips, core functioning better. Um, I'm working on fundamental movement patterns which is going to increase their efficiency, fundamental, fundamental, they're going to become better athletes. I'm working on change of direction. I'm working on acceleration. I'm working on footwork. All right. So now I've created a warm-up and you have the same warm-up every time. Don't change it. Keep it the same. Same warm-up. They do it every time they come to squad. I make those players do it every time they get to a private lesson early and they do that warm-up. Right. So we start looking at a, at a young player who's say 12 years old. Let's say they're doing two or three squads two or three privates a week. Let's just say that. I'm hitting six times. I'm creating a better athlete. I'm improving. I won't get through all of them, but you're improving all those areas just with doing a, you know, a really smart, efficient warm-up. And so if you can do that, can you imagine if you do that over three years, six years? They get, I call it dosage, right? So you get this little dosage of, hey, become a better athlete. Hey, become more robust. Hey, become better at doing this. But you get that six times a week, right? So you add up all these little dosages and you add, over time you create a hell of an athlete. And so if you're running an academy, you can easily just run a, an awesome warm-up and you're going to tick a lot of the boxes. But what we often did was after we did the warm-up, we would do 10 or 15 minutes of speed and agility work. And that would incorporate uh, tennis-specific movement patterns, acceleration, change of direction. So... And my warm-ups take six to eight minutes. So within the first 20 minutes of the say, two-hour squad, they're getting this unbelievable dosage and education for their body of all those different areas. Right. The other thing we used to do was um, we actually would do those change of directions in squads to tie them out and then make them do consistency drills. So that was like a bit of performance under fatigue. But we're like, okay, okay we're, doing, we're doing the mental side of things. I'm building their fitness and improving their change of direction and acceleration. So there's, there's ways that you can do all those things. Now, when it comes to like fitness or even doing programs, and I understand how expensive it can be to, to pay for trainers. Um, it, and to be honest, that's the fundamental of, of why I created my app and created all my courses is so a parent can pay X amount of dollars and they have a trainer, you know, on, on their phone. 
So they don't have to spend every week. They don't have to pay for a trainer. They've just got the trainer on their phone and kids are on their phone so young these days. They, they know how to use all that stuff. But a lot of the fitness, you should never pay for a kid to do a fitness session in my opinion. They should go out and do fitness themselves. You can guide them, give them the program, tell them what to do, take them down to the local park, set out cones, whatever, but let them do it. But don't even set out cones. Let them do it. They okay. need to have ownership. Yeah, they need ownership. And that actually, in my experience, even with the elite elite athletes, when they've gone out on their own and done with guidance, they've done their own sort of fitness work, mentally they have benefited. Like someone like Lizette Cabrera, Lizette was about a 1,000 in the world. Um, she just finished juniors. She was losing a lot of really close matches. She was mentally battling out there, but she was doing everything that I gave her. So she was bouncing around the world. I wasn't with her. After eight months of doing that, doing everything that I told her to do, taking ownership of it, doing her extra fitness, doing all that stuff, she was down to 160, 180 in the world. But the amount of confidence that she had from doing it by herself was unbelievable because she knows she's done the work. No one's pushed her to do it. She's done the work. And if you can get a young athlete to do a lot of that stuff, mentally they're going to be better. And obviously there's going to be fitness benefits, obviously, but mentally they're going to be better. Injury prevention, you don't need someone to watch you do band work and stuff. Maybe the first couple of sessions to make sure the technique's good. Um, for, for all those interventions, they're, they're quite easy exercises. You just need a little bit of coaching at the start. Gym work, technique's really important with some of the gym work, so maybe they need some guidance. Yeah. But if they're doing one gym session a week, that is not even close to enough. Like when I say gym work, fundamental movement patterns. You don't have to be in a gym. You can do it anywhere. No, we don't need weight. But if they have a program and a trainer writes them a program, they go, I'll see you once a week, but you've got to do this another two times a week. All right. And the other thing that, that they have to do themselves, especially young boys um, when they're growing, is triggering and rolling. Yeah, big one, isn't it? See that like where they carry around a foam roller but they don't really use it very often and or don't really understand how to use it. Mike, I'm pretty sure you'd see that with a lot of some of your, you know, not your kids, but just in general you see that a lot with kids walking around with a, a foam roller and wanting to use it but maybe just don't really know how to use it properly. No, well, what you find is a lot of kids have all the equipment in the bag, but it never gets used. Um, <laughs> you know, bands are in there, rollers are in there, but you don't, you rarely see them use it. I think, I think the point you made about going out there and doing stuff on your own and the mental um, benefits to that is huge for junior athletes. Um, I know I go back to when I played as a junior or as a player and I'm Betty and, and everyone else probably listening is when you step out on the court, you know, if you've done the work, you look up the other end, you know, if you haven't done the physical work and you haven't done the extra work uh, deep down, you know, and I, f I feel that affects you on the court, but when you've done the work and you've, put everything into it and done the extra and you can look up the other end and say, I've oh, that 1% that the other person may not have done that gives you a lot of confidence, which I'm sure is what Lizette had doing that program. Um, I wanted to ask you about the fact that there are a lot of people out there who go and get a personal trainer or a trainer and do one session a week and go there weekly and yep, I'm doing my S and C cause I'm going to see a trainer investing that money. But you know, when you ask them, what are they doing the rest of the week? There's, there's no program. They're just going to see a trainer once a week. And to me, that is just a complete waste of money and a waste of time. You're better off 
you know, I know in our environment, the kids have a program per week and the trainer is not there doing them per week, but they have accountability. They have ownership of what they're doing. It gets updated weekly, which is exactly like your program. What would you recommend to those people who sort of go down that track and think, oh, well, that's enough. I'm doing one session a week with a, a trainer and, and there's not much else going on. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of fluff, to be honest. Um, and I'm not saying don't do it, but you better hit your trainer up and say, look, I, I want a program that I can do another two times that week. Um, yeah, it's like I said, but the problem is again, accessing people who understand tennis, athlete development is pretty hard. Um, again, that's why I started my business. It, yeah, I want to make money from my business, but geez, I want to help as many young tennis players and parents as I can because it's so expensive, this sport. But look, the kids should be doing, they should be doing lots of stuff if they're serious. You know, if they're serious about becoming the best player they can be. And I'm not saying they have to be top 100 players. You know, but if they want to go to college or they just enjoy being very good at tennis, you know, they those kids are the ones that wake up in the morning, get on the trigger ball and the foam roller before they go to work, uh, go to school, you know, before they go to their session. They're the ones who get their 10 minutes early to warm up before they do their private. Um, but they need to be doing, if it is athlete development work, like, you know how I said that dosage, dosage is so important. Like if you're a tennis coach and you got to see your athlete you know, five times a week, whether it's in squads and a couple of privates, would you only work on serving once? No, no. So if you're going to work, and it's no different, moving fundamental movement patterns are a technical thing. Lunging, there's a way to lunge. There's a way not to lunge. <laughs> like um, you need to work on those fundamentals. And the more you do it, like anything, it's skill acquisition. You will acquire that skill more rapidly if you do it more rapidly. Now, if you're doing it once a week, it's probably not enough. If you're serious, you know, and if you're not serious, you're probably wasting your money. Um, but again, I, I I know how expensive this sport is and all those additives. And to be honest, personal trainers, without being rude to their industry, don't under, don't necessarily un, understand athleticism. And some are really good. Don't get me wrong. They are. But you've got to – it's a hard one to say. You've got to – like I've watched hundreds and hundreds of athletes develop their fundamentals, hundreds. I can see an athlete and I can see where the deficiencies lie just from seeing an overhead squat. I can tell what's going on with the body. I can predict injuries that they've had in the past just from that because I've seen it. But if you haven't experienced it, like a lot of trainers don't uh, haven't, then they don't know. Um, and sometimes they do more damage than good. And that's I'm not trying to be mean to them, but sometimes they do more damage than good. It's like having a, a tennis coach who perhaps doesn't understand technique very well and they create a serve with a, you know, fry pan grip and face on and, you know, like that's, you're doing more, you're doing kind of more harm than good, you know. <laughs> I think it's interesting that, um, you know, when you're talking about the, I, I, tennis is such a complex sport, you know, if you really think about how many things we need to be aware of and execute in such a little amount of time as possible. So you really need to know your stuff. Uh, when you're when you are instructing or you know trying to take someone under your win who's got potential you know always taking tennis seriously down that path because I know I uh, years ago I ended up going to America with a, with an athlete and uh, Coco Goff was training at this academy and this was when Coco was only 13 and I looked at her and I thought 13 year olds like kids ripped like unbelievably mature body very well um, trained 
really smooth movement patterns, like just speed for it for years, you know. But she's when I spoke to her fitness trainer and at the time, uh, he I asked him, like, if you don't mind, you know, can you t- tell me like what, what age did you start training Coco? What were some of the stuff you're doing? And he was really forthcoming with his information. And actually one day we'll share it with you in person. But yeah. you know, he started working with her from the age of eight and had multiple sessions going on where they're working on her speed, movement, uh, patterns. Obviously, some of these efficiencies as she got older, obviously she's worked on her strength, but he they she worked on that a lot from the age of eight. And there's no surprise to me that when you look at Coco and you realize how athletic she actually is, it didn't just happen overnight and it didn't just happen because of no reason. She had obviously some really good people working with her. And so I think in your opinion, just from traveling uh, Hindi and seeing the athletes that you've seen and been around, how do we rate amongst the rest of the world, you know, just general physicality as a country? That's an interesting question. I Because I know a lot of Europe don't do a lot of strength training or injury prevention, um, but they become good athletes because they work really hard on court and they train with amazing te- um, intensity, but also their coaches focus on movement. You know, I think... I think sometimes in Australia we get a little caught up on technique where I would love to see more coaches focus on movement as well. Technique's important. You know, our te- technically we're some of the best in the world for sure when I travelled around, but technique doesn't win matches ne- necessarily. Um, movement, um, competitiveness, intensity, super important, super important. Athletically, I think we're... I think we're pretty decent, but that's because we have unbelievable sports science and training, but our fitness isn't great. I'd say we function all right, but our fitness isn't great. Um, but, yeah, we don't we don't invest young um, like they do. You know, you go to an academy in Europe and they do a lot of, you know, ladder drills and running drills and fitness drills, and um, they probably break a few athletes, but um, they've got massive numbers over there. Um, but it, it is important when done well. Like like I said, with Emerson Jones, I was with her at nine. And I did, she would do, well, she would do two speed agility sessions with me. She would do a gym session with me and her mum would do two others at home. And I would do on-court footwork with her. And I'd, I'd, for about a year there, I was a tennis coach as well. So I was coaching her. Um, but she started, she did the same thing as Coco. And right now, Emerson's, you know, 10 in the world and she's 15 years old. Um, she was top 50 at 14, you know, um, and you would, and you look at her and she's a hell of an athlete. Uh, she's got some good genetics. And <laughs> also but, um, a great coach. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've met her mom and um, lovely family and, and just, yeah, great, <laughs> great genetics, but also really good education. Hey, I think if you've got parents that even if you, even if you haven't been at previously a great athlete, Mike, you know, I think, you like you said, you spoke about growth mindset. I think it's not just the athlete that's got to have that growth mindset. It's got to be the family going on board and, and really doing a little bit of your research, but also, you know, just um just understand that you may not know probably a lot about this space, but just keep tapping into people that do and, and put your trust in the ones that have actually had that experience like yourself. And there's several others out there that have done really well with with athletes and who've got a reputation in working with tennis players because when we go down the path of just the generic fitness trainer, like you said, no offense to them, but you know, they don't always understand how a, a functioning tennis body should really be working. And, and they're not really aware of always the, the movement patterns that are specific to tennis. So I think it's, 
really important as a family to be open-minded, but also do your research and go down the path of someone who's actually worked with tennis players and has done a pretty good job with them, I would say. Because you wouldn't just go and invest in a private tennis coach if they had no, if they didn't really have a great reputation or they hadn't developed any players. I think and even just juniors, like developed decent juniors. And I think you just wouldn't do that. So I think as a family, you have to be, it, it's got to be a collective kind of decision where you, you do invest your time and, and have this growth mindset that it is important and that you work on it and encourage your kids to do it at home. And maybe the family can get involved to make it a little easier in terms of motivation. <laughs> it could be a tennis fitness boot camp or something. I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, it could be a good great way to integrate that into your family as, as well. Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, you know, Loretta was always Loretta Jones was always supportive of that, and she's actually a strength coach. <laughs> she's a fitness coach, but she said, "Heinzie, you know this better than I do." And my kids don't want to listen to me anyway. So, <laughs> um, but she goes, you know this better than I do. I'm guided by you. She goes, but I'll challenge challenge you. I was like, bring it on. Bloody love it. Um, and that's why I got along with her because that mindset, I have the same mindset. You know, I'm all about becoming the best version of myself. And I guess when I was playing, that was something I did really well. You know, I never got beaten for fitness when I was playing tennis. I live from the country. I didn't get a lot of tennis. Like I didn't hit a lot of balls, but I'd beat a lot of kids because I was very fast and very fit and I could do two things by myself and that was serve and volley against the wall. So I had them down pat, but the rest was uh, maybe a decent slice, but the rest wasn't great. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing. I think for any junior player out there, it's never get beaten through a lack of fitness and yeah. that's something you can do on your own. That's And I think everyone needs to be pulling in the same direction. Everyone needs to be on the same page. And I think... You know, those discussions between coaches and, and parents of the importance of this space in your your child's development. I mean, technical development, parents will come to coaches for technical work, tactical work, but unless there's an athlete, um, if you've got limitations, there are technical limitations as to how you can hit the ball, which means tactically you're going to have less options available to you. So they all go hand in hand, and I think it's, that education, and I personally think, is the investment of time and energy in creating the athlete from an earlier age is absolutely crucial. It avoids a lot of issues later on. And and what I tend to find, I don't know about you, Betty, but from my experience um, in Australia is we have a lot of players with talent who can hit a ball, but their athletic side hasn't caught up yet. And the game is much further ahead of where their bodies are. And then we get injuries because um, we're trying to possibly play a, a physical type of game. And then and, and when they hit their late teens, I feel like that's when we start to step up the athletic development side and the S&C and the fitness. And it's like, well, we've missed a little bit of that window to get those gains. And then we're playing catch up almost until they're, early to mid twenties. I don't know what you think about that, but that's just something I see a lot of. And I think the earlier you can make it a focus and spend time, I think it saves a lot of heartache later on. Yeah. You've, you've got to build the foundations early and I'll tell you why. So if you've got a kid who can do all those fundamental movement patterns, let's just say for, from a, let's look at a strength perspective. Uh, if you've got all those kids who develop those fundamentals at a youth age, you don't have to do it once they get to 14, 15, when they can start lifting weights. It's done. 
the foundations are done. You just start slowly, progressively adding weight and you slowly start, you know, for instance, power, the fundamentals of power come from jumping and landing, right? So if a kid knows how to jump and land and they get to a point where their strength capacity is good enough to do some power training, you've got the foundations there, the efficient movement patterns there. So if you think about it, if you think about an engine, for instance, for people at home, if you if you have an engine that sort of is, is clicking or, or tapping and it's not moving efficiently, eventually wherever that's tapping or hitting, it's going to wear down, right, because it's not working efficiently. You know, think of a bike that's got a bent um, pedal that's hitting when you spin around, it keeps hitting the, the bar, right? Eventually you're going to wear through the bar and your bike's no good and you're going to have to, re- you're going to, have to fix the bike and take time. Or the, or the engine's going to blow, right? That's the same as the body. You know, if you're doing something with poor efficiency and it's not functioning properly, eventually it will break down, right? And that's when you do have kids who have lower back stresses, kids who have uh, torn rotator cuffs, you know, even kids who I've had kids, well, not mine, but uh, I've heard of kids who have had um, torn labrums in their shoulder and they have to have shoulder surgery at 17 to reattach their labrum. They're out for 12 months. It's right, more so, often than not, Hindy, that, that injury that you're talking about is that we're seeing that even younger. I think we're seeing, I've actually heard of stress fractures. You know, there's been several players that have had them. There's had, not just one, they've had a couple um, yeah. from a much younger age. And I, I talk a lot about the the bike chain. You know, if one kink's not kind of right in a bike chain and things start to, you know, you start to comprom- compromise your body a little bit and, 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 you know, you're improvising, doing other things that may be not as efficient. But I... I think I'm, I'm pretty firm on this. I think as coaches, tennis coaches, we should know how to teach footwork though. I think that's, that is in our role as coaches. Like that really bothers me when a coach hasn't, okay, you don't need to, if you don't know it, go and learn. You know, it's simple. Go and do the work and learn. <laughs> it, it's your job it's to understand how to teach movement on the court. I think like some kids just have it and some kids just don't have it, but then, you're trying to teach fundamental movements and you're not addressing the the, the wide base. Okay, they're maybe not strong enough. Okay, get them to work on it. Get them to be aware of it. But we're teaching a lot. You know, I'm seeing a lot of kids hit with their hands and their hands, they keep moving forward to the ball, but their feet aren't actually getting any closer to it. So that really bothers me because I think that's, you know, my my opinion, that's just ignorance. Like if you're not understanding that tennis is actually a footwork sport, it is a foot sport. I know, it's, I know you hit with your hands, but if you don't get close enough to that ball, Let's put it put it this way. Yeah, you're screwed. So I think it's just really important. Yeah, sorry, but if you if you don't get to the ball, you cannot hit the ball. I mean, I think as coaches, it is a fundamental to what you do. You have to be able to teach footwork first step, how to get to the ball efficiently, how to load correctly to get the right contact point to be able to hit a particular shot. I think it's we are doing a disservice if if we're trying to work with junior athletes who want to get to a high level if we don't know the basics of of that and then obviously you know the snc and the the fitness side of it is you know we get assistance for that because we don't know everything but i think as coaches we need to know have some knowledge in all aspects of what makes up a tennis player we might not need to know everything but when we are say talking with the likes of heinze we know what he's talking about we know what he's going on about. So we're not just fluffing and and 
you know, if a player asks me, why do I need to move this way? Well, I better know the answer because otherwise I shouldn't be coaching this player. Like that's just a personal opinion. I don't know what you think, Betty and, and Heinze, but I think we all as an industry and if we want to develop these kinds of players, we need to also be better. It's 100% spot on. Um, and I, I've had arguments about this. <laughs> um, fitness trainers are not f- supposed to teach footwork, in my opinion, unless you're someone like me who's coached the sport. Now, the reason for that is it is very – so footwork isn't just about efficiency – the most explosive movements patterns, it is heavily linked to tactics, right? And if you don't understand the tactics of the sport, you don't understand the court surface t- tactics of the sport, um, then, you, then you shouldn't be teaching footwork. But what you, as a trainer, if you're listening to this, what you can do an amazing job of is build a robust body, an injury-free body, and teach them speed, agility, how to change direction, how to accelerate. And you can dabble into the footwork, but chat to the coach, integrate with your coach and find out what they want exactly because you can screw it up. And I, I'm a massive advocate. And, you know, this is, again, this comes back to why I started my business. You know, I live on both sides. I'm a tennis coach and I've worked at a, a high level of tennis coaching and I'm a strength and conditioning coach who's worked high, a lot higher than that, right? And a footwork specialist. I, I've sit in all parties. And I, when you're a fitness trainer, develop those fundamentals from the physical side. Right? When you're a tennis coach, you, you accept that your team member in the fitness develops that so you can bridge the gap between the strength from the gym or the movement pattern, speed, agility, and link it into how to utilize it on the court most effectively for the best tactical scenario. I have my opinions too why we don't move well in Australia. We do, and trust me, I do this as well. We do a ton of hand-fed, basket-fed ball striking. Right? And I'm guilty of it. If you're working on specific technique, it is good because you eliminate a lot of the variables. But if you're doing basket fed and you're not working on a really like really small technical element, they should be moving every single ball. Every single ball. When we do cross courts, right, or we're doing a patterning drill, they should be recovering after every shot. Right? They should be on their toes the entire time. Right? We shouldn't be working in four ball drills. So this is another thing. Statistics came out and said women's tennis is three to four shots, men's is, you know, four to six. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. But that doesn't mean that we do drills that are based on four to six shots. We're talking about repetition. So if they're moving at a good intensity, recovering, moving, moving, recovering, hitting, like over and over again for large amounts of balls and strikes, then it's going to be ingrained. You, every time they move well is another dosage, in my opinion. All right. Now, we get caught up on very stagnant training, right? So it's either ball fed, not moving much, or we're live ball and sort of hitting, which is fine. But we need to, as as a nation particularly, we need to push way harder for greater intensity on court and way more movement, right? What we do amazing and and better than most countries is the technical. We have amazing biomechanics, amazing education in that area. We really do. And when you go to Europe, I've taken, I've taken a fair few squads over there, like, Betty might have been on one with me when they're. Uh, I was on one of them. Yeah, um, we're our guys that really good technically, but they get beaten by this guy's got the ugliest forehand on the, on the in the world because they make balls and they move really really well and they're really really fit at doing that because they train like that, right? And you know I've had guys like you know Ollie Anderson, he was Australian junior champion. I took him over to Futures, and he got beaten up over there. You know this is a very talented kid. 
you know, it's good for him. Later on, he ended up beating top 100 players and various things. But I've done that with with multiple guys, Jack Jader, Mitch Harper, like like Alex Sinecrack, Dane Sweeney. Like They've gone all through it. At least Dane, Dane moves exceptionally well, so he did really well there. Right? But we do get found out from their mentality, one, and their movement. Um, yes, we've normally got better serves, better technique, which, which helps us. But we do really need to coach more movement, in my opinion. You know, and training at greater intensities because if they don't do anything at all but they train at a greater intensity, they'll get fitter and they'll probably hit better balls at, at the minimum, you know, the bare minimum. So, absolutely, yeah, I, absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I think also, you know, when you physically love moving, you mentally have, a, I mean, you mentally have a better intent in general, but I think the, the, the intention drives the physicality and vice versa and, like you said, I, I think when you go overseas, you find these players that can in, turn this incredibly defensive shot into offense and no ways to to tactically find their way out of it just due to the fact that they move well. Um, it kind of links in a little bit with their tactics where if you don't move well, even though you might have great technique, you can't tactically execute what you always want to do either because you're not moving into those positions early enough or you may not be moving or recovering into the right spots to receive the next ball. So there's just so much, I think, educating that still needs to keep occurring in our country across the board. And I think we're definitely getting better at it. But um, I think, you know, uh, Emerson Jones is a remarkable, I think, talent and just also a great example of someone who's done a lot more work from a younger age, had good education, has parents that are on board. So I think that in itself is awesome. And, and you know, Alex, I guess, you know, tell us how we find you, your business, business name, where, where are you at? Where do we Where do we look you up? Yeah, uh, tmovement.com. So t-movement.com is my website. I've created an app as well, and it's called uh, Tennis Footwork and Fitness. Now, basically what I'm trying to deliver is actually really what we've been talking about today is affordable access to good training. Like the injury prevention programs on there, they're my most sex successful injury prevention programs I've had. They are very, very low injury rates when my kid, my athletes do these. Um, but it's got fitness programs, it's got footwork programs, it's got it's got everything that you could require on that app and also on my website. Um, I'm actually thinking of creating a membership um, to make it more affordable where, you know, someone might pay $99 a month and get access to all my information rather than having to spend 99 bucks on a trainer once or twice a week. Maybe that's what I need to do because I truly do want to make sure Australian tennis players stop getting injured and they perform better and move better. And the other thing is I have coach education. So you said like we're not for, informed en enough on it. I currently have a course that I've just released and it's called Athletic Development for Tennis. And it's actually up skill coaches like yourselves on all the athletic um, areas that you need to work on. It's, it's basically a toolbox of what you, of, of how to coach it and how to develop it in your athletes. And I have my programs actually in the course. So you can use my programs with your athletes. Um, but in that course is stuff like um, recovery, throwing, uh, physical testing. I teach you how to do like physical testing so you can monitor how your athletes are developing. Um, fundamental movement patterns, speed, agility, accelerate. There's heaps in it. There's about seven hours of content. And it's all in like bite-sized pieces. So because I understand I've done 50-hour week coaching weeks. Like I know how hard it is to find time. But they're like they're short bits. They're like anywhere between 10 and 30 minutes. So you can actually absorb all this stuff and learn. Um, and I've already had quite a few people do it and they love it. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, for coaches, I'd love you to do my coach education. There will be a footwork course coming, which actually will explain 
um, a, an understanding of footwork, but link it back to the body. So for coaches, I, I know you two guys are great coaches and I know your athletes move really well. So I know you coach good footwork. But what it might do for you is like, oh, that's why I do that. The, the body actually works like this. That's why I do that. That's good. It validates why you're doing it. You're like, you keep kicking ass, keep doing it. But for other coaches, it'll teach them a way of understanding movement. And it's not in maneuvers. So previous footwork specialists talk about maneuvers like Mongols and all this stuff. I don't talk about that. I talk about concepts. I talk about concepts of loading legs, hip rotation, weight transfer. Um, so it, it it's easy to understand a concept and make it adaptable rather than having 20 maneuvers that you can't remember. Um, so that's coming as well. But yeah, that's team movement is ultimately, um, one, you know, I want it to become, um, you know, my business and my life. But if I can help coaches like yourselves and uh, coaches all around the world learn different things, they got, they've got another 20, 30, 40, whatever years of coaching. Can you imagine how many athletes they're going to help? And so for me, that's so rewarding that I have this ripple effect that if I help one coach, they're going to help 50 athletes. And I'm only one man. I've, I have coached plenty of athletes, but that limits me. But if I can help other people, that means I can help so many people. And it's the same with my physical training programs. Like I've, I've created, I've cut through all the crap, to be honest. I've, I've learned over the years what's good and what, do, what works and what doesn't work, basically. Um, and I've created these programs so I can actually help, uh, you know, an amazing amount of athletes and players um, stay injury-free, get faster, become better athletes, you know, have better footwork. Um, I actually have a product where I can analyze your footwork as well. I've got, I got a lot of products I need to. So you could actually send me footage of an athlete and I analyze their footwork and then I send you basically videos of me explaining what they're doing wrong and giving drills to actually improve those key areas. I actually have to refine it a bit and make sure it's a bit easy to understand. Like there's so many products because I want to help so many people. But um, I think the membership might be a good idea to, simplify things so everyone can access you know everything instead of having to you know absolutely yeah i think it sounds like a great idea heinzy yeah, good no, so. <laughs> fantastic heinzy it's i love your passion i love your dedication to what you're doing and i know a lot of people out there would have got an enormous amount out of our chat today um for those who don't work with anyone or don't have a program i think it's something they need to do i think you should you know probably reach out to alex if you want or you know if there's yeah. someone local whoever it is but you know there's some good stuff and i think you you need to get on board with it but it's been an absolute pleasure having you um thanks so much for joining us it's an area and a topic that betty and i are quite passionate about in ensuring that we are all making sure that we're doing all the things we need to do to be the best players we can be. But um, it's been great having you and um, pleasure chatting to you. And it's been great. I love, I love chatting tennis and um, you know, I, I haven't been out on the tour and seen you guys for a while. So next time in Melbourne, I have to come out and visit you in person and, and, uh, and, and uh, chat more because I, I do love it. Absolutely. Heinzy. It's been awesome seeing you again and we'll definitely see you around uh, hopefully this summer of tennis. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and subscribe to our YouTube channel.